Amen. If you have a Bible, turn with me, if you will, please, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. May I just say, as you're turning there in your Bibles, kudos to Faith Scott and her team. Uh, as we were watching and uh, getting ready for me to walk up here, I saw that slide about kids being dismissed to Children's Church for Children's Worship. Praise, I, I just give you the backstory from staff and ministers' meetings. That has been in the works for a long time. It's very difficult to navigate all of this stuff with COVID-19. And that, for the longest time, seemed like absolutely impossible. And yet, that team's worked very tirelessly and diligently. And I just want to acknowledge and thank Faith Scott for her work. All right, well, it's Christmas. We get to talk about Jesus this morning and specifically the incarnation. The Word becomes flesh, as the Bible tells us in John chapter 1. The Word becomes flesh and He dwells among us. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning from a different gospel, Luke chapter 1. So Luke chapter 1, start with me this morning in verse number 26, if you would. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at the saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Just pause for a moment. Can you imagine? You're sitting in your living room, you know, and an angel walks in and says, Blessed are you, highly favored one. I would freak out too. Verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now watch this. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall, his name shall be called Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? since I do not yet know a man. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and now this is the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible." And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of your Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, as we pause from the normal rhythms of our week and the normal rhythms of our, of our year and our month, and Lord, even as we acknowledged in our prayer time earlier, there are a lot who are weary and burdened and even broken. And so, Father, we pray for your grace and we pray for your strength, especially this day as we consider your precious Son, our Savior, Redeemer, and King. Lord, we offer to you, to Him, our worship this morning with great love, with great gratitude, and wonderful awe of who you are. And so, Father, bless us as we reflect for a moment on who you are and the great miracle of Christmas. We think so much about the, the niceties of the stories, the cosmetics of the stories. But this morning, I pray that we would be able to gaze deeply into the nature of what's happening here and be struck by it and be awed by it and that we would walk away from this place lovers of you. Lord, bless us, we pray. 
and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Word became flesh. There's perhaps no more profound statement in all of Scripture. It's one thing to admit and to affirm that there is a God and that this God made us. Yes, that indeed already takes us to the supernatural. It commits us very deeply to the idea that there's something out there beyond us. And that in and of itself creates and produces within us a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. This is why it is that when we go to the oceans, we sit and we marvel at their magnitude because they remind us that there's things out there so much bigger than us and so much more powerful than us. This is why we do the same at the mountains and other places throughout creation. But it's another thing to think that that one who is out there greater than and beyond all of this other stuff that's been created has condescended to our level himself and took on flesh. And at Christmas, when we talk about Christ, the Christ child born in a manger, this is what we are acknowledging and affirming, that God himself bothered not just to create us, but to even step into the created realm by taking on flesh himself and coming to redeem us. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about the incarnation of Jesus, the coming of Jesus Christ, what he does what He fulfills, and what He's going to accomplish in our lives. And so let's jump in today. I'll just make a couple quick observations from the text here this morning, and then we'll be on our way. First thing I want you to see here is that in verse number 31 through 35, Christ came, and when He came, He took on flesh. Now this is an absolutely essential thing to understand about Christianity itself, and specific to our claims about Jesus Christ. That when God comes into this world in the form of the Son, that He takes on flesh and the divine nature and the human nature are together there in one person, the person Jesus Christ. Theologians will call this and sometimes refer to it as the hypostatic union. That's a fancy way of talking about it. Here's what that means. Essentially, it means that in the person Jesus Christ, we have a real and true. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about it this way. They'll say, it's a full human nature. Well, wait a minute. That's not really the best way to talk about this because there's not really such a thing as a half human nature or a third human nature or a 99.5% human nature. There's just human nature. What Christ takes on is real human nature. It's not a copy. It's not a duplicate. It's real genuine flesh. It's real humanity that comes now and this is what we see. Where do we see that in the text? Well, we see it verse number 31. We see this here. God or the angel says to, to Mary, Behold, you will, watch this, conceive in your womb. Now look, I'll just pause here to say, if God wanted to show up in our world, couldn't He do just that? Couldn't He just show up in some kind of other form or maybe some kind of other way of appearing? But that's not what He does here. When the Christ child comes, he comes in human form, taking on human flesh. The Apostle Paul talks about it this way in Philippians chapter 2, that the, in him the fullness of God was there, right? And yet he, who in the form of God, did not consider it a bad thing to be in that form and humbled himself and takes on human flesh. 
Throughout the Scriptures, we see this. And throughout the New Testament, we are reminded that when Christ comes into this world, He takes on a real humanity. Now, here's the reason we need to pause for a moment. We need to understand that doctrinally, but we need to appreciate that spiritually for just a moment. Why? What is the point of all of this nerd stuff that I present to you this morning? Very simple this. Isn't it a marvel that God Himself would bother to walk in our shoes for a moment? To know what it is like that Christ Himself was tempted in every single way that you and I get tempted, and yet without sin? That Christ, though He is the Son of God, would set that stuff aside. That's kind of the point of that Philippians 2 passage. It's sometimes referred to as the kenosis passage. He empties himself and takes on real humanity so that he can walk in our shoes, so that he can sympathize for us in our humanity and know what it is like to feel hunger, to know what it is like to feel pain. Imagine the pain of the cross and all of the things that he would endure. Christ himself is not aloof to you. Isn't that important to remember? It's important to remember because there are times indeed in our lives when we cry out to God again and again and again, and it seems as though heaven is silent to us. And if we're not careful in those moments, we can allow ourselves to begin thinking the worst about God, that somehow He's aloof from us, that He does not really understand. But in those moments, I would point you back to the incarnation of Jesus and the real humanity of Christ that He takes on. He knows exactly what it is like to walk on this earth. He knows exactly what it is like to feel pain. He even knows exactly what it is like to feel genuine sorrow, John chapter 11. That he shows up at the death of Lazarus and the women are distraught and broken. And there in that moment, the Bible makes the point a number of times that he was grieved for them. Three times it says that. And then the shortest verse in all of the scripture, Jesus wept. My God is not aloof to us. He knows what it is like because he himself has come and took on flesh and walked among us. So it's important spiritually to understand this real humanity in this sense because ultimately He can indeed sympathize with our pain and our sorrow and the brokenness of this world. But there's other reasons to appreciate the real humanity of Jesus for just a moment. It's not just that He can sympathize for us. Listen to me. It's so that also He can redeem. You know, the ancient theologians would say it this way, what is not assumed is not redeemed. Here's what they mean by that. What he does not take on for himself, he cannot actually redeem. So in other words, if he wants to redeem humanity, he must take on humanity. And that is precisely what he does. In taking on human flesh, it enables him not only to sympathize with our sorrows and our brokenness, but it enables him to actually be our redeemer. I don't know if you remember this or not. I wouldn't suspect you do. I preached on Genesis chapter 3 last Christmas here. And we talked there about this promise of the Christ child that was to come. There are these, this Genesis chapter 3, if you don't remember, is the chapter where they, they actually disobey God and the fall happens, the curse happens. And God comes down to confront Adam and Eve. And when he does, he pronounces three distinct curses. A curse on the woman, a curse on the man, and then a curse on the snake, the devil himself. And here was his curse. 
that you'll slither on the ground all your life. And then he says this, and I will put enmity, that's hostility and warfare. I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. What's seed talk? Is he planting stuff? He's talking about offspring. The offspring of a woman. There will be a war, listen to this, a war between the serpent himself and the offspring of a woman, children, or specifically, as he would go on to talk, it gets real specific, a singular masculine pronoun, a he. Not just children in general, but a specific child. This was the warning. This was the curse to the serpent, that there is coming forth a child who will be born, and that child will crush your head. A symbol of defeat, but you will bruise his heel. A symbol of great sacrifice. Genesis chapter 3. The gospel being preached to us, right? Christ is that child taking on flesh and redeeming us from our sins. It's a real humanity. When Christ came, He took on flesh. I want you to also see it's a real divinity too. It's not a copy. It's not a simulation of divinity. It's just divinity. That is to say that in Christ, you have, yes, a real human nature and a real divine nature, the actual divine nature, both in the same person. And there you have that union between the two. And the the doctrinal statement would say something like this, that these two natures come together in the one man, Jesus Christ, in such a way that they're not mixed or confused with each other. So in other words, you're not crossbreeding puppies here. You don't have a hybrid here. You don't have a mutt here. You have the maintaining of a real human nature and the maintaining of a real divine nature. And the two come together in such a way that they maintain their distinction. And yet, they come together in such a way that they can never again be pulled apart in the person of Jesus Christ. And henceforth, forevermore, there shall be humanity and divinity in union together. That in and of itself will preach, brothers and sisters. Because what was broken by the fall was the very union between God and man, made to worship, made to love Him, broken by sin, and turned in rebellion. That's what we did. It was all lost by our sin, and it is all made union and right in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It is a real divine nature. You say, where do you see that? Let me show you verse 32. Watch the descriptors of this one to be born from Mary. Yes, He will come in her womb... That's the humanity side of it. Watch 32. He will be great. You'll call him son of the highest. Now, so far, those descriptions, if you're not catching on to them, that might not quite sound like divinity. It's clearly a really high thing, but it might not quite sound like divinity. But keep going, watch. And the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, to the Jewish reader, they would have very quickly begun to pick up on what Luke was laying down here, what Gabriel was laying down here. Right? They're very quickly picking up on the fact that, no, that's a messianic statement right there. Right? You, he will have the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. Go down to verse number 35, the very end of verse number 35. The Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. This is the description that you're getting from Gabriel about the announcement of the birth of Jesus and the Incarnation. That yes, it comes from the womb of a woman, fulfilling all these prophecies, as we'll see in just a minute. And yet at the same time, this is real divinity. Now why is that important for us? Now we've talked about the theological side. He comes and takes on human flesh 
So that in taking on flesh, flesh can be redeemed. In taking on humanity, humanity can be redeemed. But here's the question. Can humanity by themselves, by itself, redeem? Try as we might. We cannot do it, can we? Consider your own sin. Consider your own shortfallings. And how hard you work in your own flesh and in your own strength to overcome it. How successful are you? We look to political systems. How successful are they? We look to kings of the earth. We look to doctors. We look to lawyers. We look to every possible help that we can possibly look for. And yet brokenness still prevails in the land. And we see throughout the ages across the span of time that despite our best efforts, best systems, and best attempts, what we do is we fall short repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And so this Christmas, with me, listen to me, renew your gaze upon God as the only possible hope. The answer for us is not found in a politician. The answer for us is not found in a system. The answer for us is not found in medicine. There is but one hope in the heart of a Christian, and it is Christ Himself, the Son of God, who comes into this world and as God has power to redeem. Oh, may we hunger and thirst for Him. May we gaze to Him for that help. It is a real humanity. It is a real divinity. So the first thing I want you to see here this morning is just simply this. Christ came and He took on flesh. And that in and of itself makes salvation possible. Second thing I want you to see. Christ came and He fulfilled some prophecies. In His coming, He does the very things that the prophets of old were predicting He would do. There's four different ones here in this one. I'll just go through a couple of them, these four, very quickly. There are actually a number of others that we could talk about, possibly even from this specific text, but just focusing and limiting it to just this text, let me mention four prophecies that the announcement of Gabriel makes clear Christ is fulfilling. And this is important for us because, if I may, clearly it's one thing for us to stand up and proclaim these things. In the heart of a lot of honest people, there's always the... How do we know that question? Well, how do we know that's real? How do you know that Christ actually is the one, actually is the hope? There are lots of different ways we could answer that. We could point to the resurrection of Jesus. We'll save that for Easter. How about that? <laughs> Got an amen today. All right. I'm, I'm done. See you. Bye. <laughs> no, <I'm... clears throat> we'll save it for Easter. Let's focus just on this one. There's the prophecies that are fulfilled here. It's Christmas time. And here Gabriel announces what Jesus is going to do, and in doing it's check, 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 check. Prophecies that are being fulfilled. All right, so what are those? Verse number 31, I've already alluded to this. There's this prophecy that the redemption and the Redeemer would come through the birth of a child. It's really a sad thing that in the hearts of Christians we don't think more about Genesis 3. In, in my favorite hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the, the hymn writer most definitely listens back to this. No more let fin, uh, sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His righteousness flow as far as the curse is found. It's an allusion back to Genesis chapter 3. Don't quote me on all the details on the words, Ricky. 
I'm going off the cuff here. Uh, this is hearkening back to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, there is that curse on the serpent. And the curse is that there is a child coming who's going to defeat you. And what Gabriel announces in verse 31 is that that's actually what's happening in Mary's womb. Again, it doesn't, he doesn't just drop out of a cloud. He doesn't just show up one day in a meeting. No. He actually takes up residence in the womb of a woman. And is a real human that forms in that way. And in doing this, this is a fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3. What God Himself had promised long ago. And interestingly, promised it via a curse. The curse on the serpent is the very hope that we have of redemption. Prophecy number two within this, this rubric of, of Him fulfilling the prophets. It says that He'd be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 Verse number 14, where God says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call His name Emmanuel, which is to say God is with us. Once again, notice that statement of divinity and humanity. It's going to come from the birth of a virgin. There's real flesh involved in this. And at the same time, it is God Himself with us. Isn't that interesting? It's a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And then in verse number 34, And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Meaning the obvious. She's a virgin, right? A fulfillment of another prophecy. Third prophecy, that this Messiah King would sit on the throne of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse number 12 and verse number 13, God promised David this, quote, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, in other words, when you're dead, I will set up your seed after you, who, you will, come, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That was a promise that God gave to David, saying through your seed, it's through your offspring, it has to come through the bloodline of David. And it also, by the way, just for free, it has to come through the bloodline of Abraham as well. If the Messiah doesn't come through those two bloodlines, it ain't happening. And that's the point of Matthew chapter 1, by the way. Those long genealogies that we typically skip over in our quiet times because it's so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so, and it's really long. The point of that is to say he qualifies. He's of the bloodline of Abraham. He's of the bloodline of David. If he wasn't that, the Jews would not have listened to another thing Matthew said. And that's the audience that Matthew was writing to. He comes from the bloodline of David. We're told this. Verse number 32, notice what he says here. He will be great, he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Fulfillment of prophecy. One more real quick. His kingdom will be everlasting. Verse number 33, notice how it says it here. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Well, where does that come from? Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6 and verse number 7. Listen to the promise that God gave. For unto us, and this is one of my favorite passages in Christmas, this is our hope, folks. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and listen to this, of the increase of his governance and peace, there will be no end. What am I, what's my point to you? Here's part of the way we can answer the how do we know it's true question. There's various ways. One that we see right here in Luke chapter 1 is fulfilled prophecies. 
Here's four of them right here that the Messiah fulfills, spoken from ages before the Isaiah passages, some 700 years before the time of Jesus. And Christ fulfills them all. Third and final point here today. This is where the rubber meets the road. We've considered Christ theologically. We've considered Christ apologetically with the prophecies. Now, consider Christ with regard to your salvation. Verse 31, why did Christ come? Third thing I want you to see here today, Christ came to forgive you of your sins. Christ came to forgive you of your sins. Where do you see that in the text? One simple word. Watch this. Verse 31. Behold, you conceive in your womb, bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Jesus. What does the name Jesus mean? It means God saves. It means God saves. Again, against the backdrop of every failed attempt that I have ever had, you have ever had, society after society and civilization after civilization has ever had, failure upon failure upon failure, never finding redemption, never finding hope. To us, a child has been born. And this child's name is Jesus. It means God saves And the Bible says, all who call on His name shall be saved. Isn't that a beautiful hope? I can remember the night that I threw myself upon Him. I can remember after years of brokenness, after years of shame, after years of sorrow and heartache and struggle, and after so many failed attempts to fix myself, I tried changing who I hung out with with friends. I tried different jobs. I tried even going to church and reading my Bible. And every attempt I made, nothing worked. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember sitting there in that room and this young guy got up. He was only about a year older than me. He was going into his senior year in high school. And uh, as he stood up in front of the audience that night of about 700 of us in that youth room, he began to share his story of the drugs, the alcohol, and the arrests and all of those things. And I was like, man, this guy's had the exact same life that I have had. Here's what I saw. That's all I saw about myself was the drugs, the alcohol, all those things. As he began to talk, I began to realize there was actually something else it was a better descriptor, descriptor of me. He began to talk about not just the forensic facts of his life, the drugs, the alcohol, and all those things. He began to talk about the existential aspect of his life, the brokenness, the sorrow, the shame, the hopelessness, the defeat. And as he talked, my heart exploded. And I thought to myself, that is actually who I am. That is actually where I'm at. That is actually my greatest need. And he began to talk about how he came to know Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, how he found forgiveness of sins. How he found hope and redemption and renewal. And how he'd found life. And as this young guy talked, teenagers, don't you ever think that you can't have an impact on people. 
as he began to talk about the hope that he'd found in Christ, as he began to talk about redemption and salvation and peace and joy. The thirst and the hunger of my soul overtook me. And I threw myself on Jesus Christ. For the last 25 and a half years, I too have been able to taste and see that the Lord is good. And that He redeems and He restores and He renews. And he does indeed give hope and salvation and peace and wellness and wholeness. His name is Jesus. And He saves. That is who He is. And that is why He matters for you. We're going to... Don't go anywhere. Don't pack up. Don't scurry. Don't... Just hear me. Transition into the invitation for just a moment. Maybe you are like I was, the description I just gave. Maybe you're here today or you're watching here today because you're hurt, you're broken, there's shame. There's sorrow, and you need a Savior. You need a Redeemer. The Bible says this, God loves you. The greatest truth ever to be spoken, perhaps, God loves us. He loves us and He came into this world to defeat your enemy, but He did so at great cost to Himself. Thousands of years later after that prophecy, in the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those of us who are under the law. And that one who was born 33 years later went to a cross. And there on that cross He was beaten, His body was broken, his blood was shed, and his life was offered to redeem you. And if you've never trusted him, then now, now, today, trust him. Maybe you, all, you know him and you know him quite well. But you're tired, you're weary, and you're broken still. God saves. Call on him. Come to Him and let Him redeem. Lord, help us. Help us not just with weariness, but help us with joy. Give to us this season the sweet communion of Your Spirit, the closeness to Your Son, Joy, hope, and life to our souls. Lord, we give ourselves to you and we ask that you'd help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray, the one who saves. Amen.